Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence podcast, live from the Rap Shack. My name is Pete Berthod. I don't have my normal co-host up here today, but I got a couple of good stand-ins. I got former Virginia Tech offensive lineman Eric Gallo and former Virginia Tech running back Josh Oglesby. Guys, thanks for coming out. Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah, for, thanks having, for us. having us. Thanks for coming out, everybody. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to start with a Q&A with these guys. We're going to move into some audience questions. So if you come up with a question throughout the process here, keep it in your head. We'll get to it. And then we're going to do a little discussion on the 2019 Virginia Tech Hokies and how they're doing. But I gave you their names. Let's get to know these guys a little bit better. Let's do where you're from, years you played at Tech, and what you're up to now. And we'll start with Josh. Who? Cool. Name's Joshua Oglesby. I'm from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I enrolled at Tech uh, in January 2007, graduated in 2011. My very last game was uh, the Sugar Bowl against uh, Michigan that we, we lost in overtime. Uh, I moved up to Philadelphia September of last year. Um, I have a love story. I was, I was following a girl, and that, that's what brought me up this way. Um, best decision of my life. Uh, so now I'm, I'm here in Philadelphia working. And uh, just enjoying my life, and I'm uh, very happy to be out here with you all today. Uh, yeah, thanks everybody for coming out, and everybody that's listening um, remotely or in the future. We will be posting this to the podcast, so people will hear it, other uh, than people that are here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm Eric Gallo. I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Woo. Was recruited uh, by Coach Coach Beamer and the offensive line coach at the time to go play at Virginia Tech. I was there from 2014 to 2017 were my seasons. Uh, my last game was against Oklahoma State down in Orlando, Florida. Uh, so I since moved back to the Philadelphia area. I don't have like a similar love story as you. Uh, my girlfriend Hannah lives in uh, Charlotte or Charleston right now. Um, so I'm back in the area. I, I loved it down in Blacksburg, but I missed kind of my family. I, I missed kind of my friends. So that's what brought me back to the Philly area. When I was trying to come up with a line of questioning for you guys, it was difficult because I want to pick your brain about so many things. But why don't we start where it started for you guys, and that's the recruiting process. I was not uh, what you'd call like a high school star athlete, but <laughs> I wanted to learn what it was like to you know, be in the spotlight, what it was like getting recruited, what were your other big offers, and what ultimately made you choose Virginia Tech. Go ahead. Sure. So... Um my father played running back at uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, so I grew up a huge UNC fan. Still to this day, I'm a UNC basketball fan, tried and true. Um, so basically when I was getting recruited, I, I was pretty sure I was going to go to UNC Chapel Hill or maybe um, rival NC State. Um, I went up to camp at Virginia Tech because they showed some interest. Uh, this was going into my senior year. Um, Early on in the recruitment process, Coach Height told me that they probably would not offer me until a little bit into my senior year. But I went up to camp. Um, one thing about Virginia Tech is the coaches actually were an intricate part in the camps. You know, they, they really looked at the prospects and, you know, had really good coaching moments. Um, so the running backs were up against the linebackers, and I was killing the linebackers to the point where Coach Foster came up to me and was like, son, we need to get you here at Virginia Tech. <laughs> so I did really well. Um, afterwards, Coach Height took me over to Coach Beamer, and, um, you know, they reiterated that they wanted to wait until my senior year to offer me. But then Coach Beamer went ahead and offered me right on the spot. So when a legend like Coach Beamer offers you a scholarship right there on the spot and then tells you that they're only taking two running backs, which he was true to his word, 
I ended up committing about two weeks later. So um, that's what really got me to Virginia Tech. You know, they're a perennial powerhouse. They're known for the running game. And I figured, you know, why not go and be a part of the legacy there at Virginia Tech? Eric? Uh, yeah, that's a great point. I kind of have a similar story. So I was offered by Virginia Tech on May 10th. I forget which year it was, but then I committed on May 28th. So it took me 18 days to, <laughs> to accept my offer. Uh, I was offered by uh, Jeff Grimes, was the offensive line coach at the time. He recruited me out of high school. And I took a trip um, somewhere in that time. There, there was a holiday weekend that I went down to Blacksburg and kind of got um, a tour of everything. And it meant a lot to me that the coaches took time out of their holiday weekend uh, to take me around. And uh, I sat down in Coach Beamer's office, and he just kind of looked at me, and, you know, we got to know each other. He's sizing you up. <laughs> he sizing me up, and he goes, uh, you know, Erica, we need offensive linemen here. You're an offensive lineman. He's like, so it makes sense for you to come here. He stuck to the facts. <laughs> I can't disagree with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's kind of my story there. Uh, didn't – I, I kind of was – um, I didn't have many other giant offers. I was between here, Villanova, and uh, Temple. So when I was getting recruited, Coach Steinspring told me I was kind of one of those prototypical Virginia Tech players, two-star recruit, but ends up becoming an all-conference player. Um, so that was something that I always wanted to do and kind of live up to. And uh, that's kind of you know that's kind of my recruiting story. Yeah, we're going to tear into your career a little bit more, but I want to start with your your little brother Nick. He's a freshman at Virginia Tech right now. He's a tight end. And he seems to be making a big impression on the head coach. I think Fuente has mentioned him like every other week on Tech Talk Live. As his older brother, how cool is it to see him play in the maroon and orange? And how big of an impact must you have had on him for him to go there? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Uh, I come from a football family. My older brother played at Maryland. He played tight end there. Uh, my sister was you know, full-time cheerleader, competitive, and on, on the varsity team, team captain in high school. It, it means a lot because of all the brother connections at Virginia Tech. You know, Edmonds brothers, uh, the Fuller brothers, it goes on and on. Yeah. And that, that was kind of a big part of his process, going through the recruiting process. So to see him playing is really good. I'm not necessarily surprised by it, but I'm, um, I'm happy that he's playing. And similarly to him, like you were kind of thrust into playing a lot early. Uh, how was that adjustment? Did you feel like you were ready when you first got to Tech? I, I mean, I know it was your sophomore year that you were kind of made the mm -hmm. starter. Did you feel like you were ready to start when they called on you? Absolutely. Okay. So I, I, I sat behind uh, David Wang. Do, do you know David Wang? Yeah, David yeah. Wang Ed Wang. Yeah, another brother combination. Right, right. So, so I sat behind him and Caleb Farris were the two centers in front of me. So I had a full year to just soak up as much knowledge and, and as many repetitions as possible before I got to actually do it myself. And the thing with football is the coaches prepare you so well for the games. Um, there's so much practice, there's so much strength and conditioning that goes, that leads into the games, just like the seasons, that I was definitely prepared to play. Josh, when I look at the years you played, all I can think about is like, the amount of talent we had, particularly running back talent. We won 42 games in the four years you were there. That was tied for the most games in any four-year span of Virginia Tech history and probably had our most loaded backfield. What was it like competing for carries with Darren Evans, David Wilson, and Ryan Williams? 
It was fun, but it was frustrating. <laughs> yeah, a lot an of answer, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of frustrating years, but but fun years. Um, I want to say my, my freshman year, um, you know, Darren was crowned uh, the go-to guy. Um, you know, Darren's a great back. Um, you know, he had a, a great skill set. Um, you know, we we were both young and hungry and, and ready to play. My sophomore year, Darren had gotten hurt, and Ryan Williams came into town, and Ryan. Hands down, the best running back I've ever seen play. Um, Kevin Jones and Ryan Williams, uh, neck and neck. Um, yeah, Ryan Williams, hands down, the best running back I've ever he seen play. Yeah, he, he really definitely was. was. Um, I believe his the opening game against Alabama, you know, I, I, I knew after a couple of carries, I was like, man, this guy's a real deal. Um, fast forward to my junior year, um, David Wilson comes to town. So we have Darren Evans, David Wilson, Ryan Williams. Um, I would kill for that depth right now on hey, the 2019 Hokies. Me too, me too. <laughs> that, that was a fun year. We, you know, we just didn't know how everything was going to get processed. Um, Ryan and, Dave, uh, Ryan and uh, Darren both had great years and ended up going on to the NFL. So then that left me for my senior year, uh, myself, and, um, myself and David Wilson, which that was a really fun year. Um, I got a lot more playing time. So... Um, Really wish we could have finished with the ACC championship, but Clemson was kind of starting their reign. They were, yep. And, um, you know, we had a controversial call to finish out the season against Michigan. But um, the backfield was just loaded that year, and that's kind of what Virginia Tech uh, – that's kind of what we're all about, just running the ball. And that's something that I definitely want to see us get back to. I'm sure, I'm sure the O-line helped them look, <laughs> look good, too. Oh, yeah, of course, that's of right. course. And despite that competition, you alluded to it, you played in 51 games in your career. Gained over 900 yards from scrimmage, scored eight touchdowns. What statistic or individual achievement brought you the most satisfaction in your career? You know, there's a ton. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me, um, you know, how it was like, you know, I never started, but I got a lot of playing time. It's it's very difficult, um, you know, just being ready and, you know, being able to perform when called on. It's one thing when you're a starter and you know you'll have a ton of opportunities, so you just kind of relax. But it's another thing when you play in an important position and um, you know you have to perform when being called on. So there were a couple of games, um, I want to say maybe my sophomore year against Duke. Um, you know, Duke's a team that, you know, they, they're, they're sneaky. They beat the hell out of us this year. Um, but we played them in Wallace Wade, scored two touchdowns to help us win that game. That was my sophomore year. Um, my we se- needed those touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, we definitely needed those. Um, my, my senior year, you know, there were a handful of games where I felt like my, my play helped us win. But one play that stood out in my mind, if I had to um, just pretty much sum up my career in one play, was uh, when we were playing against Michigan in the Sugar Bowl. Um, there was a third and long. Um, Logan should have audible to a pass play, but I have no clue why. He uh, went with the run play, <laughs> and he gave me the ball. And uh, I was able to get us a first down to extend the drive. I had to break a couple of tackles, but it was definitely the wrong call. No, you know, no shot on Logan. But, um, you know, it just pretty, pretty much sums up your career. You know, sometimes you don't expect stuff to go a certain way, but it does, and you just got to make it happen. And that's pretty much what happened on that play. Yes, sir. Uh, Eric, you dealt with a big coaching transition during your time. Not uh, going from Frank Beamer to Justin Fuente as head coach, obviously. That had to be a pretty crazy time at Virginia Tech, having a legend like Beamer who recruited you and had you sit down in his office, retire, and a new coach come in. 
what was that transition like? Did it go as smooth as we all thought it went, you know, keeping Bud on, having Fuente come in? And, or did like some of your teammates not love it so much, want to transfer, things like that? How did it go? I think it went very smooth. Um, and I think from the out, you know, whatever the outside perspective is, is probably similar to what was actually going on at the time. Um, Coach Fuente did an unbelievable job and is continuing to do an unbelievable job, not necessarily trying to replace Coach Beamer, but to build on what he had already built uh, there. And, of course, Bud Foster staying is huge. So, you know, it's sad to see him leave this year, but what he did in staying for four years uh, after Coach Beamer is pretty admirable of what he's done. Um, as far as players on the team, I don't think there's a big um, commotion around possibly leaving or being unhappy with the hire. I think everyone's just pretty excited to turn a new page and um, yeah, I'll, to we'll get to. I want to yeah. get to your thoughts on Fuente a little bit later, as well as your thoughts on Bud. Yeah. But for the most part, we didn't see that transfer portal stuff start until yeah. maybe a year or two after the transition happened. Yeah, I think the transition was smooth, and I think the number twenty-five jersey that Coach Fuente awards is pretty much sums up that whole transition period. He did an unbelievable job with it, and he, he's keeping it going right now. You also dealt with a coaching transition. Not a head coach, but a position coach. The longtime running backs coach, Billy Height, retired during your playing career and was replaced by Shane Beamer. What's it like going from one position coach to another? Were you mad that you needed to prove yourself all over again, or were you happy for the clean slate? You know, it was a little, it was a little of both. Uh, one thing I'll say about coaching running backs, it's the easiest, it's the easiest job in the world. You're not really coaching. <laughs> Running back is just about, um, you know, being able to react to what you see in front of you. You can't really coach that. Um, you know, I hated to see Coach Height leave because he was a guy that recruited me. Um, he played at uh, UNC with my dad, and he's just overall a great guy, just great personality, just like a father figure. Um, so I really did hate seeing him leave, but having Coach Beamer coming in, he was, well, Coach Shane Beamer, he was a much younger guy. He had a lot more energy. Um, he was just a fun guy to be around. You know, he was, uh, he's Beam's son. So, you know, who could not want to play for that guy? And it, it is nice now being able to follow Shane and, you know, keep in contact with him and just see what he's doing now. So um, it's nice to still kind of know someone that's um, coaching at a high level. Yeah, Shane is currently at Oklahoma, uh, and they're, they're riding high right now. Maybe one day he'll come back to Tech. We'll see. I would love for that to happen. Eric, you played for multiple position coaches as well. Vance Weiss came in with Coach Fuente. And with such a technique-based uh, position, unlike running back, as Josh said, which is the easiest job in the world, coaching O-line, I think, is difficult, and, and guys can do it in many different ways. Uh, was the style change going from, who was it, C-Rails to, to Coach Weiss, was that a big change in a whole new playbook? How did you adjust to that? Yeah, uh, it's... It's, it's probably not the easiest position to coach in the world. There's five of us on the field, which is actually more than any, any other position on the field, uh, unless you're dropping five in coverage on third and long. Um, but that being said, we all line up in the same place on every play, so that's like the easy part, right? Like, we don't have to worry about formations or anything. We all just know where I, I, I knew personally, wherever the ball is, I just go stand over and snap it. Uh, it was, so you had a position coach change, but our entire offense changed. So all of our terminology was different. All of our plays were different. And essentially our, 
our strategy was different up front, our, our offense. There was a lot more pulling, and they, were, they focused on getting big, long, athletic offensive yeah. linemen. And, and we changed up the pass protection a little bit. We, we were trying to – Coach Wente is trying to get the ball out a little bit quicker, a little bit shorter routes um, versus more play action and five- and three-step drops. Um, so really the biggest difference is just the terminology change. So what Coach Searles would call, you know, X play, Coach Vice would call it Y play. And it's the exact same but play. But it's the same exact thing. And what Coach Leffler would call X play, you know, inside zone, Coach uh, Fuente and Cornelson would call, you know, whatever. And this is important for a center because you're making the calls, right? It's very important. <laughs> but I'd be li- I would be lying if I said that I ne- under Coach Fuente – I never just threw, you know, a Beamer call out there because I knew that all my guys would get it. So, like, you know, like, you, you get so ingrained into it. You know you're doing the same thing, but you just call it something different. Um, and then from there, the biggest change, like, football plays are football plays. A lot of them are very similar. But what we did is we kind of upped the tempo with uh, Coach Fuente, Coach Korn. Um, and that was, that was a big difference. So trying to get teams tired trying to mow them down. We're, we're not trying to huddle up and control the ball. We're, yeah, it was a much different them. style than what, what Josh it was, was playing in. a lot in. different, and, yeah. and I, like him, I, I miss that, that hard-nosed run game just a little bit, but we can obviously see at times the yeah. faster pace, the flattening out of the defense. Mm-hmm. That, it can be effective. The sport of football has changed a lot. It has. It has. In your 38 starts at center, I'm sure there were some ups and downs, maybe a game here or there you didn't feel great about. What do you think the toughest moment of your career was and what helped you get through it? I think, so the toughest part of my career was getting injured. Um, I got injured my sophomore year towards the end of the season. I had a pretty significant um, elbow injury. And that was tough. Like I, I was fine the rest of the year, but in the off season, uh, it was significant enough to where the entire off season, I didn't do a single bench bench press I didn't do a single back squat because uh, the way or power clean which obviously those are the three main things so I got out that was my sophomore year I didn't do anything in the offseason really strength wise and then junior year I got out there and tried to play and I did I played the whole season but it was, it was really challenging and it taught me that if I'm going to stick stick to my you know if I'm going to keep my spot and keep helping out the team because my strength wasn't the same and my size wasn't the same I had to have impeccable technique Um, so that year I had to absolutely master the technique of playing center or else I was going to get beat by by the defense so that's how I overcame it and then going into my senior year when I finally got my strength and everything back I had all that technique from the year before and and that's what kind of led to a a, a breakout senior year yeah for me so injury injury was probably the toughest part and you, you can't prepare for something like that same question for you Josh toughest moment of your career and what helped you get through it uh toughest moment of my career would probably be just the entire junior year that was <laughs> the year we had uh David Ryan and um Darren so um you know it was a crowded backfield um they met with me at the beginning of the year we talked about it um figured it'd be best if I moved to fullback I'll still get some playing time put in a couple of special packages for me um, what really helped me overcome it was just knowing my end goal. My end goal was to um, obviously graduate um, and, you know, come along next season because I, I figured two guys would be departing, come along next season and, you know, really have an impact. 
So um, my junior year was definitely by far my, you know, that was the toughest part of, of my career. So let's move on from the negative and move to the positive. <laughs> you played in so many big games, so many awesome venues that you actually played in four of what are now called the New Year's Six Bowls. <laughs> Every year you played in one of those, the Orange, Peach, Orange, and then Sugar, and you also played in three ACC championship games. Outside of Lane, what do you think the coolest environment you ever played in was? I would have to pick two. Um, I'll say one was my freshman year um, when we traveled to Nebraska. You know, Nebraska, they weren't ranked, but, um, you know, if anybody's a huge college football fan, you grew up looking at Nebraska and looking at the dynasty that they had. So just, um, you know, flying out to Nebraska and just, um, you know, hearing the hype around the game, um, you know, it, it was unbelievable. It's definitely the largest stadium I played in. They had the best fan base. We went, back, we went down there and came out with the W. Um, their, their fans were great, but the, just the atmosphere of that stadium was unbelievable. It wasn't better than Lane. But it was definitely unbelievable. Did you have a hostile crowd that was, like, the scariest place you played? Uh, most hostile crowd, I would say, was uh, definitely Florida State. That was my freshman year as well. We, we actually lost that game. Um, you know, it was ACC game. Any ACC game you play, especially against a team like Florida State. Was it State. the volume that, that made it? Yeah, it, it, it was the volume and just more so how they reacted towards what was going on the field. Um, you know, there was, like – any type of turnovers or a player getting hurt. I remember uh, Sean Glennon and Tyrod got hurt that game. We had to put C. Holden at quarterback. Oh, man. And it was just, you know, you, you just have stuff like that going and the crowds you're into it. You know, it just really shows you that, hey, man, all the, you know, dog days of summer that have gone by, this is now the time to rally up and, and come together. So I'd definitely say Florida State was probably the most hostile environment. Eric, coolest place you played in outside of Lane? Uh, same idea. I, I have a couple that come to mind. Uh, played at Ohio State, which we won there. Which we won, we yeah. played at Notre Dame, which we also won. So not many people can say that they won on the road at those two places. <laughs> amazing, uh, the ACC championship game was uh, where was it? It was in Charlotte. Was in Charlotte. Yeah, no, the one you no. played in was actually they moved it to Orlando because yeah. of the the law in, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, it was Carolina. different that year. It was in Orlando. Or yeah, yeah, Orlando. That was incredible. Just the the championship atmosphere of that game is great, uh, but. None of, it, none of it compares to Lane Stadium, uh, and well, I mean, and well, I mean I wanna, that. I want to get to your favorite moment in Lane as well. Okay, so. we'll, we'll get there. But my, my favorite non-Lane game was FedEx Field versus West Virginia. And that was basically, that was basically a Virginia Tech home game, uh, but that was awesome. Yeah, that, that was, that was awesome. Game. It went right down to the wire. That was so. Do you have a, a hostile crowd that, that you Ho hostile crowd? The one year we played um, at Miami, and it was a blackout, and we were top fifteen, and they were top ten. Yep. They were finally coming along. Mark Rick had them going. Well, that was when they peaked. That was exactly <laughs> when they peaked, and they were literally giving out tickets to the game for free. <laughs> And there was the viral video of, like, the fans were, like, hooligans. Now. Yes. Like, they were, like, so loud. There was fights in the stands. They, and stuff they were definitely, I'm not going to say definitely, I imagine that they were bumping artificial noise into the stadium. <laughs> and they had just redone the hard rock to where there was, it's sort of dome-like. Um, and that just kept all the noise in. So that, that was a loud game. And, and they're pretty good, too, that year. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was a tough place to play. So let's move to Lane Stadium, since that's the place you said is the best environment. Mm -hmm. Did you have a, uh, either one of you can, can start, a favorite moment, favorite play that happened in Lane? 
Yeah, the fa- my favorite play in lane that comes to my mind was actually my first start in lane, which was uh, we played Ohio State on Labor Day maybe or Sunday. It was the first game of 2015. Yeah, first game. And uh, we rolled out Brewer to the right, and then he threw back to his left to Sam Rogers, who had leaked out of the backfield. And uh, we, have, we practiced that play so many times. <laughs> and when it finally got called, I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, and, this better work. And then Sam did some shake and bake, and, too. And, and so that, that's what, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. So in lane, when you have a great play, you can feel it. Because, like, a lot of times playing O-line, like, I'm looking somewhere else or I'm, like, I'm the decoy on the play, so I'm blocking to the right, but the ball is going left. You know, half the time I don't know what the result of the play is. But when you hear everyone cheer, that's when you know it's a good play. And everyone started cheering. I'm like, oh, great. It worked. Like, all this practice. <laughs> but then, in the moment in Lane Stadium when a player goes from a great play to the, the crowd knows that they're going to score a touchdown, it, like, multiplies by 10, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Sam catches this ball. He makes a guy, uh, crowd goes nuts, makes a guy miss, and the place just, you know, went banana. So It's like multiple levels of volume. Yeah, yeah. and then Sam got in the end zone, and, like, we were going nuts. That, that was, that game, that's the play that sticks out to if me. If Brewer doesn't get hurt in that game, do you think we win? Uh, I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I will say yes. I was there at, at that game. I was, that was a great day in Blacksburg despite the loss, and, man, I thought we had it at halftime. We were winning, but. Yeah. Josh, why don't you give us your favorite moment in lane? Um, one thing I love about football is such a team sport. Um, we were playing against Nebraska in Lane Stadium, and they had this guy, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of him, uh, Donna Kasu. <laughs> yeah. We watched him all week on film. We, we didn't know he was going to be the player he is today, but, um, I mean, he, if you go back and watch, he was just wreaking havoc. Um, very close, very close game. Um, I can't remember the down and distance, but it was, you know, close to close towards the end of the game. Um, we really needed, you know, a touchdown to put us ahead. Um, so much stuff happened to get us downfield. You know, everybody just kind of playing a part, ultimate team sport. Then there comes a play where, um, you know, Tyrod, he's pushed out of the pocket. He's scrambling, makes a couple of guys miss. He's buying time and he finds Darrell Roberts in the back of the end zone. And like Eric said, you can just hear the crowd just erupt. And everybody's going crazy. I believe it was either a 12 o'clock or 3 o'clock game. And, you know, one thing about the players, what time the game starts really matters because that matters with what time we can get back and party. So, um, you know, we won the game off of that play. And, you know, that night was – it was unbelievable. It was just fun just to be with your brothers. You know, you're pulling out a a major team win to beat, you know, a perennial powerhouse – that was probably my most favorite moment in Lane Stadium. I'm so happy to hear that because I was there for both of those moments. <laughs> I, went, I, went, I stayed to the end of the Nebraska game because a lot of fans had left. It didn't look very good for Virginia Tech. We get the long pass to Danny Cole, and then we get the play you're talking about, hit Roberts in the back of the end zone. That's, that's the Tyrod did it, Mikey, right? That's, that's the iconic Virginia Tech play. So that is awesome. On bowl games, Eric, you played in a few amazing comebacks. It's particularly in 2016, I think we had to come back several times. Oh, yeah. None were bigger than the 2016 Belk Bowl versus Arkansas. VT went into the half down 24-0, ended up winning 35-24. to I've always been curious what Coach Fuente said to you guys in the locker room at halftime to motivate you, or if it was more player-driven, because I know Gerard was a very fiery guy. 
basically, what got into you guys that game? So at halftime, it was a little bit of both. Um, it was player and coach. So as Josh could probably agree, the coaches always convene before entering the locker room at halftime. So all the players get in there, and it's basically the players and the trainer. So you're getting water, you're getting gator, you're getting tape, you're getting medicine, whatever. And the coaches are all having like a mini meeting, like, okay, what are we going to do? What changes are we going to make? So we had about five minutes in the uh, uh, Charlotte. We were in, where were we? were we in Charlotte? We were in Charlotte, yeah. Uh, we're in the Charlotte, uh, Carolina Panthers locker room. We've got about five minutes, just the players. And it sounded like <laughs> nobody was saying anything in there. Uh, one of my all-time favorite teammates, Sam Rogers, comes walk, you know, walking over. And everyone was down in the dumps. And Sam Rogers went around the entire locker room, shook every player's hand, looked them in the eyes, and said, we're going to win this football game. you got to believe it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so he's my guy. He's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite players. So he shook everybody's hand in that locker room. And after that, I was like, all right, Sam believes it. You know, let's do this thing. And then Coach Fuente, who's a great come-from-behind coach, he came in and said, look, we're just hurting ourselves in the first half. If we eliminate that, we're going to do much better. And then we were losing 24 to nothing. He said, no play, I'm not, I, no play can be ran in the sport of football where you score 25 points on one play. So just go out there, play after play after play. You're not going to get it all back at once, but do the right thing over and over and over again, and we'll get back in this football game. And defense played amazing, caused some huge turnovers. Offense punched it in when we needed to, made some plays, and we rallied 35 yeah, unanswered. History, at, that was seriously game. it really was and, and that came off the heels of uh, a tough loss to Clemson in the ACC championship you guys battled like no other team in that Clemson ACC yeah. championship game if you yeah. wanted to just touch on that you can but I, I thought we were going to pull it out at the end of that yeah, one so that, that was a tough loss and then we had you know whatever four or five weeks or however long it was in between to try and get over that game and then we got off to a tough start um, and we rallied at halftime. We were able to coaches, players, fans, the fans that stuck around all through. through apparently, it was really cold well, that yeah, day. Yeah, I have an embarrassing story about that because I, I went to the Belk Bowl, and me and my buddy, who co-hosts this podcast with uh -huh. me, and I'm going to blame it more on him because he's not here. <laughs> here you go. But it's halftime. We're down 24 nothing. It's freezing, mm -hmm. and we're kind of sitting in the Arkansas section. So it's just been a brutal experience for you know, the better part of an hour and a half. He's like, let's, let's go to a bar and watch the end of the game. I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll go. Mm -hmm. We go to the Hooters downtown Charlotte, <laughs> start ripping tequila shots, and then they scored, so then we do more. Right. And, and I, <laughs> so it's that, still, that was the good luck job. It was still one of my favorite memories yeah. of a Virginia Tech game when it, I left the Belk Bowl early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was actually – I obviously didn't see the broadcast, but my family told me that there was a um, halftime graphic on the screen that said that Virginia Tech is – you know, top five or top second half plus minus teams score-wise in the country, and Arkansas was one of the worst. So they're like, I don't know, guys, like stick around. Like this could get fruition, interesting in the second sure. half. But um, it wasn't Coach Gentry at the time. Uh, coach Ben Hilgart was the strength coach. But we preach and preach finishing all the time. I mean, same with Coach Gentry. And 
you know, we always thought that the second half was ours and the fourth quarter especially was ours. And the amount of running and the amount of sleds and the amount of up-downs and, and, and all that, that, that stuff team, paid That off. 2016 team in particular, the, the comeback against Notre yeah. Dame and the comeback, that was what you guys were about. And yeah. It was, it was great to watch as a fan. Mm-hmm. You were obviously both on teams that went to a bowl every year. We were on our 26th straight bowl streak currently. We're hoping to extend the bowl streak today. We, if we beat Georgia Tech, we're going to a bowl for the 27th straight year. When it comes to the bowl games, how do the players look at it? Do you, are you ex- always excited about it? Is it annoying to have more practice after you just played a whole season? And is it tougher some years to get excited for maybe what you'd consider a lesser bowl? Josh? Uh, I can speak towards that. Um, while I played, the idea of a bowl game was um, basically you got to spend Christmas with your family. You know, you're like, all right, if we do what we're supposed to do throughout the regular season, and win the games we need to, you know, we'll go to AC Championship, and we'll be able to spend Christmas at the crib. That's what we Christmas used to call it. Christmas at the crib. Christmas be- at the crib. Because you'll be playing on New Year's Day. Yeah, because we'll be playing on New Year's Day. So, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to say that, you know, uh, you know, one of the rinky-dink bowls was, was never on our radar. It was always, you know, one of the big New Year's Day bowls. So um, there was one year we ended up playing in the uh, Chick-fil-A Bowl. That was my sophomore year. We played against uh, Tennessee. Um, Forgot what happened that year, but uh, we, we lost. We won the game. We won the bowl game. Right, we won the bowl game, but we lost a couple of games. Um, it was the, the North Carolina fumble by right. Ryan Williams. Yep. that was that was a heartbreaker. Right, right. But that was the down year that you it played was. it. Was the it was. Chick-fil-A bowl, which is now the Peach Bowl, is the worst bowl you ever even played in. Right, yeah, it was the worst bowl I ever played in. We won the game, but um, you know that that was probably our, our down year. I was like, damn, we did not go to the AC Championship and we did not win, you know, a New Year's Day bowl. Um, but it was still a fun bowl. It was in Atlanta. We had a huge turnout. Um, but being able to play in um, the Peach Bowl, Sugar Bowl, and um, – Hokies love the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, yeah, we definitely <laughs> love the Sugar Bowl. Those were amazing. You know, I feel like that's something anytime anyone asks me about my career and the bowl games I played in, and I tell them that, and it pretty much does blow their mind. And it's something that as, a, you know, a tech athlete I just thought was a given. But, um, you know – Looking at the team, you know, after I left, you know, I see that it's definitely not a given. There's a lot of hard work that goes into that. And um, I think with Fuente, we're, we're on the trend to get back there. If you really look at the coastal and what it's set up with, it's not a hard path to get there. If we do what we're supposed to do, we could be in the AC championship game every single year. Um, so I'm just looking forward to us getting back there. When it comes to bowl experiences, like I said, you both went to four what was the like what's an overall bowl experience like is it do you get cool gifts is it is like or is there some of part of you that's like wishes you were home the bowl experience is awesome and that's the week of so before i get there my recruiting class i signed in 2014 so we played in chronologically the military bowl the independence bowl the belk bowl and then the uh camping world bowl which each year we went up and up and up and played in a better bowl each year. So that's something that I'm, I'm kind of proud of. Absolutely. Um, the week of is awesome. It's one of the best weeks of the year. But to get there, you've got practices, and that's when everyone's at home. <laughs> that's the coldest time of the year. Yeah. We were lucky enough to have an indoor for the last couple of years of my tenure, but uh, those, are, those are the times where you really bond with your teammates because literally everyone's home for Christmas break. It's... There's, you know, 150 people on campus in Blacksburg. 
hundred of them are football related. And uh, you know, you just you just stay motivated and you, and you just think about the game coming up. And once you finally get there, the week of is is awesome. It's one of the best weeks of the year. And once you get to that point, you reflect back on years of the conditioning, of the two days, of the blood, sweat, and tears, and you're like, okay, this is this is really worth it. Did you did you ever get any cool gifts from a bowl game? Oh yeah, definitely. I think uh, one thing. Yeah, every yeah we're year, getting we're getting close to game time, so I'm going to rapid fire through some questions. Yeah, every year is given. You know, you're going to get a watch. There's other things. They'll have like a memorabilia room. You can go in and pick out a lot of gifts. The best thing about the bowl game is. Um, they basically base it off of where your home is and how far you get to the bowl game, and they'll give you a check based on that. Oh, wow. So, you know, everybody talks about, oh, college players need to get paid, but that is a nice incentive of going to a bowl game. You'll get a little extra cash in your pocket for that. Yeah. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about next is what is the best thing about being a D1 athlete? Because obviously we just got the pay-for-play, and, you know, they're trying to get the players, players paid, but you're generally treated pretty well, am I correct? What is the best thing about being a D1 athlete? I think, number one, you're part of something bigger than yourself. So you've got stuff going on in Philadelphia right now that kids on the team don't even know about. I didn't even know about. And then uh, the best thing about being the athlete is just your teammates and the bonds that you make. Coaches, everyone that's in that building, they are all working together to accomplish something. It's the people. Yeah, I can definitely agree to that. You know, you're all working towards one goal. You meet a ton of people that you, you never thought you would meet before. Um, it's open, incredible doors. And it does allow you um, a whole completely different avenue of, uh, of, of meeting people. You know, I would have never thought that I'd be here today in Philadelphia, you know, speaking to you wonderful people. But it's nice to know that, you know, you have a, a, basically like a second set of family. You may not have, you know, never met these people before, but you all have something in common. Right. All right, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. And then if, if anyone has an audience question, raise your hand and we'll get to that too. Because we got, what, a couple minutes before we play Georgia Tech? Mm -hmm. Okay, we have we got we got time. Yeah, uh, I'll start with Eric here. Favorite place to eat in Blacksburg that's off campus. You can't ask an O-lineman his favorite hey, place to saying. eat. That's <laughs> like that's like asking uh, a mother to choose between her favorite children. Uh, uh, cookout is is a chain, but it, you know it, it's awesome. It delivers, yeah. Um, uh, Benny Benny slice of pizza is, is awesome. I think you named two places that weren't there when Josh was in school. <laughs> definitely, definitely, uh, definitely true. Shark Hughes is always good, too, uh, but I'd have to go with Benny's. Okay. Slice of Benny's. Josh? I have to go with Bull and Bones and their sweet potato casserole. I mean, I can't wait to go back to Blacksburg <laughs> and get that. Favorite place to drink? When, once you were over 21, of course. Favorite place to drink in Blacksburg? I think we can both probably agree Tots. <laughs> Tots is a good spot, yep. Top of the stairs is the best. Do either of you have any funny stories about a teammate, maybe a prank, uh, locker room fights, a, maybe a, like a reaming out from a coach on another player you want to tell us about? Um, it's my freshman year. We were playing against uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Um, it was a close game. Tyrod goes out. Glennon comes in. Um, so we're sitting in the huddle. Danny Cole is running the play in. And he's like, come on, guys. Let's win this for Tyrod. And uh, our center, Ryan Schumann, hilarious. He's like, screw Tyrod, let's just win this shit. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, just in the middle of the game. It's like, why has it got to be about the quarterback? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Eric, do you have anything for us? Uh, yeah, I think key to the moment game uh, coach story would be 
we, we always have the whiteboard on the sideline so that the coach can draw up X's and O's and then turn it around and show us. One of, the, one of my coaches, I won't name him, was so angry at, one, at, at the result of a play that he literally punched through the whiteboard and, like, <laughs> broke through it. And it was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, the funniest part about that was then, uh, you know, his, his grad assistant ran around and picked up the whiteboard and gave it back to him. And then the coach took his pen out. It started drawing on, on the, the whiteboard, whiteboard and then ran out of space because there's a giant gaping hole in the whiteboard. And that just made him even more furious. That's, so that's great. It, that, that, was, that was my story. Do either of you guys keep in touch with any of your old teammates? Josh? Yeah. Um, I got a wedding coming up. Um, but I, there's a group chat that I'm in with about 10 guys, Alonzo Tweedy, Jared Boykin, uh, Juju Clayton, um, drawing a blank ryan williams so i mean we talk all the time um spoke to ryan today so yeah there's a lot of guys we're still in contact with social media you know makes it easy to keep in contact with like tyrod and um cam chancellor so um you definitely speak to a lot of the guys still that's awesome and how about tyrod's career after all this time still in the nfl it's been what eight eight years he's an nfl vet oh yeah uh, it's it's impressive that uh some of the guys you played with are still making their mark in the league and slowly but surely retiring. Right, but <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it just shows me I'm getting old, man. I got guys retiring. It's crazy. I have to end the, my personal part of the questions with a standard jock question. How much do you bench? <laughs> and maybe it's how much did you bench because I don't know how much you guys are still working out these days or not. There was a point in time when I think I maxed out on uh, um, 385 pounds was my max. One rep max bench. Yeah. Okay. Three eighty-five. <laughs> um, He's got a couple pounds on you. <laughs> I mean, well, wait until my answer. Uh, I'm actually out of three ninety-five. Oh uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> now Josh was an iron hokey back back in the day, right? Yeah, I was a super iron hokey every year, year in year out. That's awesome. And now I'm I'm curious, who could bench more, you or Darren Evans? Because he had set the running back yeah, record. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you about that. That was the year Darren. i coming in. I was benching more than Darren, but Darren tore his ACL, so all he could do was upper body. <laughs> And he ended up going 10 pounds heavier than me and got the record. He was just working those glamour muscles. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Does anyone in the audience have a question you want to ask these guys? Cliff? Um, I want to know your favorite Lester Carlin moment. And you got to tell them Lester Carlin. Favorite Lester Carlin moment. Lester Carlin was our equipment manager. He's been there, um, I think he was there before Beamer. Oh. Yeah, yeah, this is only, right, right, right. Started as student equipment manager. So he's kind of like uh, the glue behind the scenes for Virginia Tech football. But, um, you know, Lester, it didn't matter who you were. He had something slick to say to you. Um, just a super smart mouth. Um, you know, you ask him for, hey, Lester, I need new shoes. Where's your old ones? Call you the B word. Um, but I think it's just funny because that's kind of like, you know, something he would do to every player. So, um Bruce Smith came back into town. <laughs> Big Bruce Smith comes Bruce. back into town, and um, you know he goes up to say some stuff to Lester, and they just jaw him back and forth. And like that's um, how long he's been there. Yeah, that's how long he's been there. And then uh, Bruce uh, reaches across and jacks Lester up. <laughs> you know, holds him for a couple seconds, and it's all laughs. But I think that's probably my funniest story because it just goes to show how long he's been there, and just um, you know the impact he's had on all the players. You know, everyone loves Lester. Yeah, Lester knows how to keep it, you know, keep it light in the locker room, whether it's off season, after a loss or whatever. He, he's a great guy. 
and I, I didn't get to my Bud Foster question, but since last week we honored him on the field, I feel like it's only right to ask you a quick question about Bud Foster. As offensive guys, uh, was, even though you might not have coached under him, is he as much of a badass as we think he is? And how much interaction would an offensive player have with Bud Foster? Unfortunately, I mean, I had way too much. So <laughs> offense scrimmages up against the defense. So I'm trying to figure out his blitz schemes because I'm the center. You know, ones versus one, good versus good. And, I mean, he got me every time. Um, <laughs> but unbelievable coach, but unbelievable person. Uh, I mean, all you got to do is watch the tape against Wake Forest, and that, that tape just exemplifies how great of a guy Bud is. That's all, that's all you need to do is watch that, and that's, that's all you need to know about Bud Foster is how the defense played that day. Yeah, I think you talked about, you know, how stuff goes in the locker room uh, at halftime. You know, Beams getting up in years, not as vocal, but, um, you know, during the, some of those close games, you can count on Bud to come in the locker room and fire everybody up, offense or defense. Absolutely. He's coming in, you know, getting in everybody's ear. So you, you did have – I mean, he's always talking to the uh, team. He's, yeah, yeah, it's a team sport. So, um, you know, you're around players enough. You know, you know what pushes players' buttons and what mm -hmm. gets people fired up. So, um, you know, it, it's a family. You, you pretty much know, you know, who needs to say what. And Bud was nine times out of ten that guy to – pretty much speak on you, what you never you never want to run through bud's drills so if you're the, if you're you know like the offense practices on one field and then the defense sometimes you got to run through the fields to get the other one you always want to avoid the linebacker because <laughs> you, you don't want to interrupt that but he, we, he's a great guy so if we don't does anyone have any more audience questions you want to ask these guys because if not the game's getting started uh i think we're going to end it oh, you, you had one. Oh, yeah. one more Right, right. I think it would have played a, you know, actually with our guys, I don't think it would have played a huge role. I think everyone kind of knew the goal at hand. And, um, you know, in football, it's always the next player up. You know, I really hate to see these guys leave. Well, you know, someone can get hurt, and you'll be stepping in. You're playing for Virginia Tech. You'll be on damn national television. You know, why not just stick it out and, and play for the guys you've been there with? Yeah, we've, exactly. see, we've seen guys, you know, enter the portal and come out of the portal. And some of that's been a little overblown because some of the guys in our transfer portal weren't playing anyway. Right. And so it gets blown out of proportion. We had another question over here. Most number of calories in one meal. A, a rough, a rough estimate. Tell you, you, I can were tell you, you taking the, down food back in the day? <laughs> the most amount I've drank in one meal. <laughs> uh, if a, if a, da a daily uh, recommended intake is two thousand, <laughs> I would say when the offensive line got together for like off-season meals, uh, we could have easily done uh, five times that in one in one <laughs> easily. <laughs> All right, I think that's going to do it for the show. Let's let's watch this game. Let's hope we can get bowl go eligible Hokies. today, guys. Yeah, we didn't get a Hokies. chance to talk about the 2019 team, but that's okay. You guys gave great answers, honestly. Thank more, you, Pete. More yeah, detail, Pete. more uh, insight than I ever could have imagined. That was that was great. Uh, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, at uh, 2DVT at gmail.com if you want to send us anything. And, again, thanks to Eric Gallo and thanks to Josh Oglesby for coming on the show today. 
Appreciate you having us, man. Looking forward. And let's to go, Hokies. Go, Hokies. Go Hokies.